Hello everyone and welcome to Artist Date. This is Pedro Bonato, this is Jana Komarnitska. And uh, in this episode, I think we're going to talk, continue our previous uh, episode and we're going to talk about all about belly dance festivals that are happening, happened here in Cairo during July and that uh, by chance, not only Jana got a chance to participate, but I got a chance to see it literally all day long for, for a few weeks and uh, it was a very interesting experience to, to do. Uh, but first things first, um, you can find all episodes of this show on yanadance.com slash podcast or pedrobonato.com slash uh, sorry, no, it's yanadance.com slash artistdate or pedrobonato.com slash artistdate. Podcast is Yana's podcast and I have my own. But uh, you can find us on YouTube, Rumble. You can find us on all podcast platforms, Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts. And um, we're very happy to join you guys here from our new location in Cairo, which will remain We'll uh, talk about it next Yes, time. it so, will be made yes. undisclosed yeah. for now. Uh, so, what's up? Well, the last month ended. <laughs> uh, that was quite a marathon. Um, we talked a little bit about it in the previous episode because we were recording after the first festival that we have attended. But there was uh, three more that we... No, four. Four. Four more that we... In different capacity yeah. got involved and there was one more that we uh, skipped in terms of like no energy and, and power but um, to go but um, just to have a quick review overview like what is happening basically in Cairo it is known as a place not only where Egypt like belly dance came from and it's still alive and it's still practiced and it's part of the popular day-to-day -day culture uh, although relationship with this dance is very conflicting in this country, but it's also known for a series of uh, big dance festivals. And uh, most of these dance festivals, they are targeted for foreigners, so it's not for Egyptians. 99.9% uh, .9 of Egyptians would not even know about existence of such festivals in Cairo. But all dancers, all belly dancers all around the world dream at least once in their life to come to one of the festivals uh, that happens in Cairo. And it happened that during summer there's a big concentration of them. Uh, at least right now, it wasn't like that all the time, but now it's kind of like every year there is a new festival and uh, they kind of go in between um, Ramadan time. During Ramadan, there is no dancing at all in the country. Uh, it's special time, so all entertainments usually or some uh, style of entertainments, they are not uh, really happening. So right after... Um, it's considered already like oh possibility of putting dates of the festivals. Uh, sometimes like given the break, I'm not saying that oh it's like literally like after Ramadan, but basically during summer, targeting also for most people it's a vacation time in their country, so they can take time to go to visit different places, including Egypt. So it starts basically at some point of June. Uh, and till pretty much end of July, August, uh, I assume, that's my just 
um, guess that they are living out of festival days just because supposedly it's the hottest month in Cairo. And already July right now, it's a very hot month. So during August, it's even hotter. And somehow, by some reason, I at least I haven't seen any announcements of August festivals. But in right. September, October, November, they, they sort of come back just in a less concentration. It's going yeah. to be one per month. But in July, it basically was, from what I knew about, was six big events in within like 30... 35 days range. So some of them were going simultaneously. Yeah, and uh, just uh, for people to know that uh, what we're going to talk about here is like this experience of um, of our experiences during the belly dance festivals. But I think like uh, it sort of goes uh, way beyond even if you're not interested specifically in uh, like in belly dance. But um, because it, it's more from, a, I guess, from an artistic point of view, we can touch a little bit on that kind of, a, that kind of way. That it's like when you get, try to get into the things that you want to get, I think there may be some uh, lessons or cautionary tales like related to that. So uh, let's... Uh, yeah, let's for festivals in terms of... Uh, Mm, closest analogy, I would say it's like a conference in any industry. Uh, sometimes you go to conferences to either present your work or to get inspired or to do networking. And for festivals, it's literally the same. Uh, different dancers will go to these festivals for different reasons. And I'm not talking about invited teachers. That's, of course, they're going to present, to, uh, to share their knowledge. But as a participant, uh, you will go to the festival with different goals. Uh, one, of course, grows to learn, but I would say, in my opinion, more like to get inspiration because during festival itself, you get so much information that it barely stays all of it in your mind. And at some point, like, okay, to get new information, I need to get sort of like push to, to somewhere really back corner the, the previous information from first few days. It's just a lot of info. And the main learning process starts afterwards when you come home and you start reviewing all those notes, all those videos, uh, if you were able to take them and practice them. That's what they mean learning. But the festival itself is between five to seven, sometimes ten days, but usually it's like a week uh, thing here. Every festival is like one week. Um, it's a concentration that you have every day two, three workshops, sometimes workshops go at the same time. So you can, if you have full package, you can drop half of the workshop here and half of the workshop there. Uh, so it's a lot of information. So it's, it's for inspiration. It's for sort of like level up, refresh, push yourself forward, obviously. Uh, another goal is for presenting your work because during festivals, even if you're not invited teacher, you can be invited guest or you can just perform an open stage. Uh, you can perform to CD, you can perform to live orchestra, which is topic on its own. I'm sure we'll touch yes. about it today too because that's Otherwise. Sort of <laughs> <laughs> your part of conversation. Mm -hmm. But um, so you can present and you also can uh, participate in competitions and competitions they are also serving two two purposes it's a learning 
purpose because of course you prepare you work hard to like it's an extra motivation to push yourself harder but you also get feedback from judges so you can come and ask and they give you some suggestions where to work so it is a learning uh, opportunity but also many dancers consider it as a showcase opportunity for building career and it's not necessarily only about winning competition because as a winner you receive certain prizes and very often it's opportunity to be invited teacher somewhere or some opportunity to go to another festival and be invited guest if not a teacher so it's a, it's a showcase opportunity but also even if you didn't win but you performed nicely people will see you people will remember people may invite you it's not only about the first place so this is the second goal showcase just like in any other conference and third one it's networking and networking comes through performance like okay you present yourself people notice me come to talk to you but also uh during all the time in between workshops sometimes during workshops but <laughs> let's be official like in between workshops uh during evening events at the parties um looking for watching for gala shows after gala shows even if they finish at 3 a.m somehow you still stay there and chat to this person to this person you meet this person someone introduces to another one it's, it's basically a networking uh, and networking can serve for different reasons too like uh whatever like uh, your goal is your specialty let's say in the dance industry uh so it's basically these three main goals so that's why i compared this to conference yeah yeah it is but also it's um yeah, like they have analogies of this also in the martial arts world it's sort of the same you have uh, competitions classes all these things but i th i think the the belly dance one is unique in that sense the way they work and there are two more elements that you should mention too mm. that all of them have which is they usually since egypt is this like magical ancient place they also usually arrange like that it's like one week in the like during the festival itself and then one week usually that they go around uh uh not all well, festivals. Of course not all but festivals, but some, I'm saying it some, is yes. possible. Like there's this other element that they take you like to the main uh, you you can have that opportunity to go with guides and with fellow like-minded like dancers and the people that live here to go or usually like a big group to go to different places around Egypt all the way to Aswan in the south or going to Alexandria or going to like the White Desert and of course going to the pyramids places around Cairo. So it's not like necessarily all um, all festivals. Uh, have that, although I think on the ones we were, I think all of them had. Mm -hmm. uh, which one didn't? Cleopatra uh, didn't. Now yes, they did. did. No, it was right. one day. Uh, one day, right? Yeah. One day so anyway, beach. There, was, like, anyway, there will be some activities anyway, beyond just festivals, beyond but besides the point. Anyway, it's the point is, if you're here, you yeah. can go, even yeah. if the festival is not. It's. I'm just saying that it's usually for people to come here for a one-time thing. Even if you're not going to stay just for the, like if you're going to have the conference, the festival, you usually include uh, this other element, which is tourism around around Egypt, either on your own or uh, with with a group. Yeah, what what's smart and all of the festivals had, they build in either some free evening, so they don't have any activity on that evening, so you can go in the city. Uh, or you can just sleep <laughs> if you need to get the energy in the middle of festival. Or um, some of them build the full day free, which they offer like to take you somewhere. Uh, 
Sometimes it's sightseeing and sometimes it's just day on the beach because the beach is uh, very close to Cairo too. So they take you as a group uh, there. Uh, so that's, in this case, yes. But some festivals has also actual organized tours. Like they say, okay, we for one week we do dance classes and then for another week, if you want, we go and they take you all around Egypt. So it's not just in Cairo. Yeah. And, um, and then um, what else? Oh, the other thing is that they're usually in these festivals, there are vendors of uh, belly dance related items from like accessories and to like costumes and they are... Um, they're usually from Egypt. I don't, didn't see any international no, ones. No, I haven't seen either. Yeah, but it's like, so for the people that are, it's sort of like this immersive experience because then you see all sorts of uh, kinds of vendors and kinds of uh, like costume designers and all those things. And uh, like you can buy instruments and um, on the place and the jewelry and uh, like little things. And it's all packed in one place so that you can that you can see. So it's quite an interesting experience. Like I'm going to talk more from the point of view of like the music and the, yeah, not from the dance. I was just about to say, to say like, OK, so it's clear why I was involved in that. Yes, yeah. What did it have to do with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, um, although to be fair, most of the teachers, not the most, but... Actually, most of the teachers, at least the main people, were actually male, yes. like guys from Egypt that are, let's say, the top of the... Um, they are the Yodas. They are the, the masters of, uh, of uh, belly dance. Of course, a lot of females too, but they are predominantly guys, like uh, yes. most of them, at least in the festivals here. Uh, and uh, But like, I don't dance. I'm, uh, I'm the Brazilian that doesn't like doesn't know how to dance nor play soccer so they kicked me out of the country that's my joke usually but uh, but who knows i'm kind of liking the the saidi things i may uh, i may ask you for a class yeah. so but it's uh, it's very interesting uh, so for me um as we mentioned on the previous uh, episode that uh, Jana had participated in the one of the festivals here and uh, with live band, her back on stage um, like after many years. So that was really cool. And then with me, what happened was, so all these festivals here in Egypt, they have a live band. And this uh, live band will sometimes rotate a couple uh, musicians and uh, different festivals will have different bands. But... What happened was that we were talking to, and then shout out to Mohammed Shaheen, uh, organizer of Cleopatra Festival, which was the first one that I participated to as a musician. And uh, he was very kind to, it was the first one that he was organizing on his own. He has a huge experience with uh, festivals. There is a whole episode that Yana ta- uh, yes. released recently on the Belly Daniels Live podcast with an interview with him. Recommend you guys to go check it out. But um, I was talking to him for many years now that I was interested in his process. As a dancer, he creates dance uh, albums. So he creates music albums with Arabic music, original materials uh, that they are made for dancers and made with dancers in mind. And I was very curious about his process and uh, how he comes up with and he collaborates with composers and musicians here in Cairo and very often, every couple of years or every year, I guess, he comes up with new songs and new CDs. Um, and I remember the first time I was listening to it, it's like, oh, this is really cool. Like all these accents, all these nuances and changes and differences. And then it's perfect for dancers. And then Yana said, oh, this is actually um, like produced by this dancer, Mohammed Shaheen. And um, for many years, this tie back to the four-year thing of Yana not performing in, in, in Ukraine. When we were in Ukraine, dude, we met him in one festival. 
he said, um, oh, that I, I, I asked him if I could come and check his process of, um, of recording. He said, yeah, sure, come. And then we never were able to come to, to Egypt for a bunch of reasons, and now we're here. And we, when we connected to him, he said, oh, sure, like, we recorded. And I said, oh, can I go and attend one of the rehearsals, like, with the musicians? Because I want to see how they do it. And uh, I'm not, uh, I'll mention why that's important later. But he said, yeah, sure, like, come see. And uh, what happened was I came to the, um, to the rehearsal and all the musicians were there. Um, and I knew just one of them. Um, but they were like super cool. And um, I, by chance, happened to bring one drum, like a frame drum, a Turkish one, which did not come unnoticed. And because um, I was going to just watch and maybe record a couple things. Uh, um, but then he go, uh, they, the musicians go. I started like sort of like sitting down and playing at least the basic beats and stuff. And then basically they adopted me. <laughs> they let me, uh, they said, uh, like, they let me go play. And then in the end, I ended up playing basically almost every day, every night that they were performing, either on the workshops or on the live events. And that was, uh, so in the end, I was spending more stage time than, uh, uh, than, than, uh, than Yana, but it was really cool to, for me, uh, like, and as an artist to, to go and, uh, and have that experience. So I was not dancing, I was playing music. You should tell about your schedule. Uh, yeah, rehearsals yeah, yeah. and performances. Yeah, so I guess that ties up with um, a little bit of uh, Cairo culture, but I think it's also a lot about festival culture that, that applies to both musicians and dancers, that they want to tire you in an unbelievable way. And basically, well, maybe talk about the, the dance part and then I talk about the music part. Yeah, that's uh, kind of like... All festivals have the best intention. Let's make it as comfortable and uh, um, livable through for, for participants. But they also want to push as many different things in that week as possible with as many different performances and events and workshops as possible. So you end up a very, very with intense schedule. And if you're planning to take a festival as your vacation time, Plan a mini vacation right after because you will need it. Uh, even after one week. What I did for a month, it was crazy, to yeah. be honest. Also, uh, in our case, we were not living in the hotels where uh, festivals take place because usually they play, take place in hotels and the classroom and performance area is right there in the conference room, which for participants is convenient. You just go to your room. Sometimes between workshops, you can go in and... Um, nap for extra half an hour or etc but it's right there for us it was also like for me always traveling back and forth and for you too once you start uh, playing um so basically you have from sometimes 9 sometimes 10 a.m you start have start um start having classes and for festivals it's usually about eight hours of classes on average per day so it's like three workshops of different durations and sometimes more than three, but they go simultaneously in several rooms so you can choose which one you attend. But on average, it's eight hours. You don't have to attend all eight, but it, it's available for you. So usually people who get full packages, they want to see, of course, as much as possible. So you attend and especially on the first few days, like, yes, I'm going everywhere. And then in the evening, uh, which always announced uh, to be started around 7, 8, but typically starts around 8, 9, 
or sometimes later. Uh, it's the evening show part. And show part, it can be open stage, can be a competition, can be invited guests, uh, like the opening or closing gala shows with artists, professional artists from Egypt, uh, um, very often with live music, sometimes some parts of some days, maybe to record a CD if it's open stage, let's say. But it starts in the evening. And that part, I think... The earliest one that ever finished was around 12.31 a.m. Yeah. It was the earliest end of the day. Usually it starts, it finishes after 2 a.m. There was one festival that they started competition part. So it was a bunch of performances and then it was competition. And competition part started at 2 a.m. It and finished at 4. 4 something. 430, yeah. So... Um, if you want to see everything, you end up uh, sleeping three, four hours per day. That's pretty much it. Uh, again, you don't have to be every night. Yeah, you may skip. Like you can uh, skip, yeah. but usually you want to see. That's why you are there. You come and you think, oh, it's just one week. And in thought, in general, like yeah, if you're coming just for one week, it's doable. Somehow it's doable. Your body just like helps you to go through this all this enthusiasm and it has stages and waves and in all my even previous festival experience i remember first two days you're kind of like yeah, yeah yeah go 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 third fourth maybe fifth days you are barely surviving <laughs> you're barely feeling that you're alive you're, you're standing there and you are hearing like you're listening to teacher, but you understand you don't hear the information. It's that kind of like a zombie style, like, okay, what's going on? Then you get at some point the second breath and then you go to life, maybe after a free evening, a free scheduled free day, <laughs> if you slept through. And then on the last day, you still usually get tired. It's, of course, if you're super, super uh, trying to pack everything to see if it's just one week, one festival, first festival, etc. That's it. And basically, these evening shows ending so late, uh, you end up sleeping very little. But that's a festival thing. And what you were referring, it's a very common thing in Egypt in general to have a late night shows. I'm not talking about festivals. I'm talking about regular shows that happens here in the clubs, in the restaurants, like at 5 a.m. to have a dance performance normal i had a friend who said oh yeah i had last week a performance at 8 a.m last one not the first one last performance belly dance show somewhere here so people active during night and then they sleep through the day and it's kind of related i guess to the heat of the place that it's super hot so a lot of even businesses and shops around like we are Two, in giza we ended up open. being all so far all this time in giza like living let's say and we see like shops pharmacies at 2 a.m some will be closed but some will be open Shoe stores with kids coming in at midnight yeah. with your families and it's, you had a very interesting experience with your rehearsal yeah too. so that was funny so um i was um i was very curious about the um because i play this instrument in case you're new to the show called the tabla or the darbuka or the derbaki which is this uh, drum that uh, you put it on your lap and it's a very important drum in uh, Arabic music all over, not only the Middle East, but the Balkans and beyond. But it's a um, very ancient drum too. It's like the earliest ones. We even saw one in Turkey 
that was about from the Hittite Empire that was about 4,000 years old. So same structure. Um, and uh, it has been a pursuit of mine for the last, I don't know how many years, to like learn it and uh, incorporate as it, in my practice as, as a musician. And each place has its own, um, let's say, flavor and ways of playing. It's sort of like you have, let's say, rock and roll, then you have classical guitar, then you have uh, flamenco guitar. And you'll all have different techniques and different um, approaches to the drum. With that said, I was very curious to see how they did uh, the drumming in Egypt specifically, which is sort of like the focus point for belly dance. And uh, one, I think we mentioned that on the previous episode, but um, uh, like how here the the drummer, like so the, the tabla player, he follows the dancer. And we're going to come back to that concept later. But So they do things in a different way here. They sort of like have to have this interaction with the dancer that uh, is different than in other places where I learned. Right? It's like sort of like you learn the song, you learn drum solos, you learn the music, and the dancer follows. And here's sort of the other way around. Like uh, the, the, the musician has to catch what the dancer is doing. So, yeah, yeah. That's, that's how they do actually in Egypt. But right away I want to refer like a note. If some of the belly dancers are watching us who went to festival or experienced it and they say like, no, 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 they don't follow me, etc. It's... Um, uh, what is as a typical Egyptian show in terms of dance and music communication? Yes, it's the drummer and in general band kind of follows the dancer, but if the dancer actually knows how to lead them. Yes, yes. So if they see you leading and you know what is going on and you had some relationship with the band before, like that you have already communication, then that would be the case and it's quite fascinating what they're doing. But if you come just as a ballet dancer, you never performed with a band, you don't really know what does it mean to lead the band or to make the drama work, yeah. then it will be this yeah. balance of still like following what you hear. Yeah, basically, it's just for what Jan is saying is that uh, during the festival, it's an artificial environment for doing this. Yeah. So, uh, but in any case, that's how supposedly they do it here. And I was very skeptical because I saw some of the ways that they were performing in the first uh, festival. And I was thinking, there's no way this is not choreographed because it was too precise. And then Jano said, yes, it is. And then at some point she was proven right because uh, I talked to the musicians. And then I had the opportunity to have a class with one of the top drummers here. Um, and then uh, next day we had this rehearsal, which is the one that Jano was mentioning. And in Egypt... Like in Brazil, it's sort of like that, but not to the extent that is here, that things sort of like happen spontaneously and they do not really have a beginning time. Like, or at least if they have a beginning time, it's the beginning to start beginning. And the way that they do it, uh, it was very interesting. So they said like, oh, there's going to be a rehearsal. It's going to be at 6.30 p.m. Uh, I'm like, okay, cool. Let's, let's do it. And I was ready. 4 6 30 and then they said oh no come back at uh, 7 30 also i did not know where the place was going to be that's also a funny thing that happens here in cairo in general not just with musicians is that because the streets are very chaotic sometimes even if you put the specific address of a place on the map or something it will not be to not point you point you to that place specifically it's very chaotic so usually people send you um like a location geolocation on the apps to say exactly where they are. In this case, they sort of told me, oh, it's close to this place. 
Um, but somehow, at some point, I'm waiting around in front of this hotel, and then the musicians come, or two of the musicians come in the car, and say, oh, Pedro, hey, and then they took me to the place. Then I found out the place is actually on Google, perfectly well um, located, but it's like a rehearsal space in Giza, huge, like, room for a rehearsal space, and, but before that, you have to, everybody get together and have coffee and talk. That's mandatory. And I guess this is one of those things that is very interesting from the point of, from a cultural point of view, like especially being like me being from Brazil, Yana being from Ukraine, us having lived in Canada and uh, like Turkey and in a few other places too, and now in Egypt, you see cultural differences on how people approach work and business and life. And one of them, this I knew since I moved to Canada, because in Brazil, basically the idea is you become friends and then you work together. Uh, in Canada, in the US, and I guess most Anglo-Saxon places, like we work together, then if we work together nicely, maybe we'll become friends. It's the other way around. In Egypt, they have, um, they have this thing that, the way that I interpret it, it's like, I will work with friends. So you become friends. And then they get super warm, super nice, it's really cool, but then they always have the socialization part before any actual work. Mm -hmm. So it was supposed to be 6.30, then 7.30, then actually it was like 8.30 that people got, like all the musicians actually ended up gathering to, to go to the rehearsal. And then it's like this coffee shop in front and everybody's chatting and talking and very, like, very lively and very nice and everybody's very warm. Um, and then you finally go to the, to the rehearsal spot. And so that was already 9, 9 p.m. Let's say that's the time that it sort of started happening. Actually, and um, a lot of some musicians started coming in and out and uh, like arriving and then going through the music. And bear in mind, these are not slackers. These are the top musicians for belly dancers in the country, like all of these guys. They... Uh, one thing that I noticed, they know the repertoire inside and out of classical Arabic music all the way to very pop songs. They Sometimes they can read and write music, sometimes they have composers, but they learn so fast and so, like, they know the music inside and out. It's fascinating to see. Very good technique. Um, and the other thing that is funny that brought, brings me back to the 80s, that in Egypt, people smoke inside, indoors. That's common here. Like you go to a hotel, go to a bar, you go to anywhere. People are smoking inside. So now imagine, and basically almost all musicians that I met, they smoke like cigarettes heavily. And imagine 13 to 14 guys inside the closed room smoking cigarettes to the point that, let's say, some instruments you are like playing, let's say, the canoe, um, which is sort of like this horizontal harp that they play in, the, in the Arabic music. And the guy had his cigarette and he was playing, holding the cigarette with his mouth and playing. So you had this fog of smoke that I haven't had since the 80s when you go to like a party and then you have to take your clothes out and then just put it to wash. When you came home, I wanted to put you in the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you, I opened the door and it's this hate of smoke yeah it, and that was that <laughs> every day you are not smoking no yeah and it's uh and it's funny so the rehearsal was like so you start the music everybody already like knows the the music that they're going to perform like well already but there are like let's say some new tunes that they want to to learn for a specific dancer in this case um 
uh, it was one of the top uh, dancers here in uh, in Cairo, and uh, this music was created specifically for him. So, and he had a lot of different sections. So we went there to rehearse that uh, that song, and um, it went until four a.m. And at some point, I was like, because I was excited to play, so and I was really paying attention to. And, and in this case, I did not even know I was going to play. I was just there to observe the rehearsal. Um, and then at some point, I start hitting the drum just to learn the beats, what they're doing here and that. And then one of the drummers said, oh, just sit here with us. Like, uh, and then uh, they saw that I, because I had a lot of experience with uh, like Arabic orchestras, and uh, they said, okay, he can play, he knows, so let him play around. And still, I did not know if I was going to play afterwards. Like it was... So I went to the, show, to, the, to the place of the show, this hotel, where the show was going to be, and he goes, oh, why are you not with a white shirt, or with a black shirt? And I'm like, well, I don't know. If you're performing, you need to have your black shirt. So actually, Yana brought it uh, yeah, for me. Yeah, but it was like, the case that, again, you came earlier to see the rehearsal, yeah. Uh, because uh, often yes. rehearsals and the festivals, they happen literally just before performance. Um, and so you, you came to see the rehearsal and suddenly you discovered you're performing. So that's just how things in Egypt happen. Yeah, They're it, very spontaneous. Even one, two hours before, you don't know, are you meeting with this person or you're not meeting this person? Is it going to happen or not going to happen? I mean, some things... They are exactly as it said, like, because we actually get, went to a bunch of music concerts around Cairo, not festival, like, but in general concert, and they were starting, like, precisely, we were like, yeah, oh like, my God, not even five minutes waiting time, you know, like, it's not everywhere. Not in Canada, so, people start that uh, precisely, yeah. yeah. But many things you can't plan. You can plan beyond tomorrow, and sometimes for tomorrow, you can't even plan for sure anything. Yeah. It's just, it just how it happens, we already gave up, I was like, okay. That's that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, and also like that's one of those things that it's uh, uh, I don't know like it's one of it's really interesting to see because uh, just as uh, like we're not going to get into that part specifically, but like just as an example, I had the opportunity to have a class with one of the master teachers, one of the master drummers here that we met during this festival, and he was very nice and uh, and um, and uh, and helping me out like with uh, drumming and the way that uh, that it happens like he invited me to go watch a recording of one specific ballad song that he was recording the drumming part he says oh do you want to come see like sure of course i want and uh it was one of those things at 2 a.m he messaged me about the next day to to do that which is like fine that's how they they work late right so and then okay they're going to record and then at some point uh, it was a whole day process because, okay, we get together, we go have coffee, then we go to the, to the location to recording. And then he said, oh, do you want to like have a class? Like we want to, to practice a bit. Yeah, sure. Let's go to my place. He said, and then we go there. Then he already has like food. Um, and this is all like as friends. And, um, and then he puts out the drums. Then he starts teaching me a lot of stuff. And then at some point we get tired. And then we, he goes, we go to have like some more coffee and more tea. And uh, that's how they... And then I asked, okay, so what are your plans for... Because I still had that uh, thing of like, oh, let me honor your time. Like, let me... Like, oh, it's from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. And like those kinds of things. And here they don't have that... Uh, for the most part, they don't have that... Um, that... Um, um, approach 
to, to time management, which also, of course, will have issues, but it will also have a lot of very interesting potentials when you open yourself to it, right? So Yeah, we were just discussing mm-hmm. with a friend of ours what, yesterday, and she mentioned very nice uh, thing about that. It's this way, although it's very unproductive in a sense that a thing that should take like i don't know one hour half an hour will take you three hours sometimes and even like i remember in one store we went uh, again this friend of ours and she purchased a bunch of stuff already before so she went there to pick, just up, to pick it up and, pay. and they were like okay you need to pack it and they're just sitting like oh, okay okay i was like they're hanging out hey, yeah is anyone actually packing stuff no they're just hanging out so 20 minutes afterwards they finally start holding something so it's kind of like gets for certain things very unproductive at the same time this kind of not planning but spontaneity uh with, spontaneity with, spontaneity with yesterday uh, a friend mentioned she was like oh yeah it kind of makes you be present in the moment like okay it's about today it's what happens today yeah so it, it's interesting like very different approach and mentality yeah and also like um people will decide to do things sort of like last minute and some of the best things that we went to like they are happened like do you want to go tomorrow to the same or even sometimes today to the same so it's sort of like this endless call to adventure that happens yes. here and uh, we will talk about this when we actually talk about the layers of egypt in another episode this is what we're trying to focus more on the festivals but it does have many layers so you think there's let's say the touristic layer when you come there is uh a little bit beyond that when you start making friends and knowing people or when you go with a purpose to the place and then other things start happening and they do not happen fast also it's like it took us like a month or and two and i actually to start. think we are very fast because many dancers i think it takes i mean dancers or people who we know who came here they thought oh we're just coming for one two months and they end up spending a few years here if not like more yeah. than a few years and some people even settle and actually live here that's how it happens because it takes a while for us it just happened that we know a lot of people so it took a little yeah. bit a while to start meeting in person because people were traveling or we were excited to go do like you know the first um round of sightseeing tours etc but once we start happening then it kind of like you hear from this person this person this person like oh here's this thing and things that you will not really find, find on your own yeah. let's say yeah. uh so i think we are actually on a very fast track yeah, compared yeah. to what it usually takes yeah it's uh different um let's say uh different worlds every place is like that like if you read uh Carlos Castaneda and all those guys, like, yeah, like there's worlds inside the same city. We're not living in the same place. Uh, and not just for an economic or geographical point of view, even the mindset and the, the relationships you have. But coming back to the, to the festival. So my experience, which was like, so the analogy that I made was when I was watching the first uh, festival, uh, it's our abilities to see. I think you're going to talk a, a bit about that also from a dance point of view that, um, I was looking at some of the drummers here that play the same instrument I play. And then I was thinking, oh, from a technical point of view, I'm not far from them, I was thinking. Um, I was like, oh, they, they didn't do anything that I could not do technically, mm-hmm. let's say. That was very interesting to see. Of course, they know the music inside and out. So they will have, let's say, there. it's not like any playing of instrument, any art form. It's not just a technique. It's about 
your expression of it. And uh, in this case of music, is actually knowing the music and knowing how to interpret it. In this case, is a third layer that is interpreted dancer. And uh, but I was like, I was very, let's say. Uh, encouraged by the fact that oh I'm sort of close and then I even wrote a text about it uh, like on uh, social media that was this uh, the mountain that is not really a mountain like the top of the mountain is actually the first base station because there is a lot more to go and that was in a good way like I thought oh wow now there's all these other things that I have to learn and watching the way that they perform day in and day out, like every night going to perform to all kinds of dancers. That was very interesting too. As you were saying, they may not be following the same way that they follow, let's say, the local dancers or the dancers that know these codes. It's basically as if the dancer is the best way to narrow it down. The dancer is the maestro. Conductor. The conductor. Yeah. yeah. So he goes and she tells what's going on. There are little signals, and but it's not a codified thing. It's not like a, like a conductor that he will do certain things that will be specific that everybody will understand. There will be things that are like more personal. Like this, this, there are elements of a common language, but there is also the specific accent and keywords, let's yeah. say, secret yes. words. So seeing that from the... Because um, one thing when you see from the audience, it's another thing when you play with the musician, so you're seeing from the back. So I was able to see how the musicians interact, how... Uh, for example, there is usually one uh, melodic instrument guy that is the main musician that will conduct in the terms he knows the whole song, every all songs, and he says, okay, now is this part, now is that part, and there's like little cues, just reminders, because there's so many songs that they have to play cold. It's basically karaoke for dancers. And they, um, and then the drummer, like the, the tabla player, he has three things in his mind at all times. He has to be in communication with the lead musician. He has to be uh, guiding his backup drummer. So it's sort of like if you have a chorus, like in violin, you have a chorus and you have uh, a soloist. But in this case, the drummer is also the conductor for the, um, the backup drummers because certain things will be adapted on the fly and you have to keep visual cues of what's going on. And he also has to, the drummer also has to follow the dancer. Um, to, and sometimes singer. Yes, and the singer too, yes. So it's this uh, multi-layered, multi-dimensional thing that is way beyond the music itself. Um, and it was amazing also to see, just to finish off my experience with, uh, with the music, is that first of all, they were... Usually they don't, for whatever reason, uh, foreigners don't play in these bands, so for, well, I guess for a number of reasons. Um, uh, but I was able to perform and they were so welcoming. They were like, uh, like very sweet guys and they were like always like, uh, like saying all the way you play and this and that. And they were talking about like legendary accordion master from here. These guys have this great experience with music and they appreciate that like a foreigner was able to like to... And also, I guess they appreciated my trying to learn as well. So that was really, really cool. And um, and I was able to see a lot of the drummers. That that was very cool. It does not happen that way much necessarily in the dance world, although it does happen. But I did not see any animosity between the drummers. The lead, there are, let's say, three, four lead drummers. And each one of these guys, which are the top of their field, they play for different dancers. Basically, the dancer hires the, the band. That's how it works here. She's the leader of the band, in a way. And so he follows her, and he's like the official 
a drummer for this dancer. And then, of course, they develop a relationship that he knows how to follow her specifically, her, him specifically. So I saw, what, four different of the top drummers in Cairo, and possibly the world in this style. Um, and they were all nice to each other. They were hugging. They were talking. They were actually like... One thing that they do all the time too that is very cool, they're geeking out about music. So they go, oh, look at this old recording from, oh, oh look at this. And then when you go to the rehearsal, they are, oh, let's try to do the dun dun tak like this way in the song. Like So they're always playing, playing around. I'm sure there is like any area, like intrigues and whatever, but they usually try to be very warm to each other. Every, even though we were seeing each other every day, it was very tiresome. Some shows, as Yana mentioned, went until 4 a.m. And some guys were playing until 9 a.m. in workshops. So it was incredibly tiresome. Uh, but they always had like smile on the face, always playing, always happy. And next day, how do they meet? Oh, hello and kiss and hug as if they haven't seen each other for, for months. And it's, it was really cool experience for me. And uh, it's sort of like, and that's how I think it adds to, um, to I guess for the Belladance Festivals, as you said about inspiration, happens with whenever you see uh, people great at their field and also kind, you see all the possibilities of things to do and inspires you to, to go get better, you know? So that, that was, to me, the experience that was amazing here. Well, as uh, someone told to us, and we kept repeating it already several times on our episodes, Cairo is definitely multi-layered. And now we are discovering these this, this layers and it kind of, like I start really understanding why people why Cairo sort of like sucked people in and made them stay for a longer time. But uh, as we were discovering like this music scene, like also during the festivals, uh, it was not only inspiration, uh, in general, like the typical one, oh, go to dance classes, they learn this choreography, combos for later to practice, but it's also for this trip, for personally for me, um, I completely discovered this whole world of actually how the interaction between dancer and musicians happen. And it's not like I didn't know about it before. Like, it's not like completely new topic, but still I did not expect that it's to this much extent. And I wish actually more festivals somehow digged deeper on this topic because they kind of throw off and on dances, okay, go do performance to live band. Maybe if you're lucky, you have one run, one rehearsal right before on the day of the show. But here also we need to clarify uh, that Arabic music or Egyptian music, it's different than Western music in the sense that each song, or the songs that specifically are played uh, for the purpose of dance festivals and belly dancing, each song will have multiple sections, and the original recordings of the songs are often 30, 40 minutes, sometimes even longer. Obviously, nobody will play the full original version of the song, and original version of the song was not created even for dancing, it was afterwards adapted for dancing, so they're going to play shorter version, but each band will have their kind of own version. So it's the same song you will recognize, but the arrangement will be slightly differently. So you never know which section they will play, which section they will not play. So rehearse, and sometimes even if you rehearsed, they may forget because they're playing nonstop. It's just, they're also humans. Sometimes it happens. 
so a lot of dancers they are freaking out and com- uh, that oh my god I don't know like you you don't feel you can do choreography and for many dancers choreography is, it's a comfortable zone but you need you kind of need to improvise but improvise like the you know song it's still you don't know exactly how they will play to you and another part that sometimes you get rehearsal and then many dancers complain but they play differently during the show which again like they are humans and it's not like they're writing down or oh, for this dancer do this section or this section sometimes they play the same song several times on the same evening so they will not remember if you ask them oh can you play this section and then another dancer didn't ask but asked for another section they will play their own version and sometimes they will mess up it's normal it everyone is human what i discovered what actually happens with egyptian dancers because they may forget to change or adjust things even if you're not a foreign dancer and they see you first time even if they're playing with dancer on a regular basis here in Egypt every day or every week or several times per week uh, for many many years still things happen and actually it's not their job to completely memorize every song and every section of course yes they have to but here you as a dancer work as a conductor and I wish more festivals were talking about this because it happened just on one of the events a couple of workshops that I caught plus communication with musicians and communication with dancers on this topic beyond workshops that's what gave you like oh my god it's this much communication it's this uh, sorry it's this deep completely new field completely new world uh, that I thought I knew about and now I realize I did know nothing about it it's basically if you know what to do as a dancer you can correct them on the spot you will hear oh they are going into this section but wait they didn't finish what I wanted. So you give them a signal so they can hopefully on spot readjust and actually do the section. Or maybe like, ah, they're taking too long. What's going on? It was not like in the rehearsal. You can give them a signal again to speed up to the point that there are several signals that, okay, if you're doing a chest accents and the drummer is behind you, so he will not see, do you want three accents or do you want four accents? And it's not like you are following necessarily his music, but again, you can cue him do three accents here. So there is this non-verbal communication that happens all the time on stage. And of course, it's not just, oh, you're cueing or you're creating music and you are, uh, let's say, controlling the drama. No, of course, he will also sometimes give uh, you and you follow him. But also there is a lot of possibility of how you can go to. So instead of complaining about, oh, they messed up this or that section, you have much more power than you think to make sure that they played what you wanted them to play so you can communicate. In this case, you can create not necessarily a choreography, but certain parts you can plan. Oh, I really want to do this kind of element or this kind of like movements on this section. And you know, uh, you, you, are not, you are a little bit less stressed in terms of what if they will play something else. Of course, when you get to the level of dancer, who knows all this communication and can fully communicate and conduct, let's say, uh, not conduct, uh, I don't know, guide or help the band to remember. Because in this case, it's why I said before, it's not really their main job to memorize uh, exactly every doom and tech and 
it's actually like your responsibility as a dancer to remind them. So they rely also not only on their memory, which they have a great memory, but they also rely on seeing what you're doing to as a reminder for them of what is coming up or what should be happening right now. And of course, if you got to the level of dancer who actually can do this communication and conducting of the band, I assume you will be very much uh, not comfortable, like not stressed, but comfortable with even situation that things don't go right or don't go as planned. And in this case, uh, once you know this language and these tools, it gives you also opportunities and possibilities. You can either do some choreographies, again, it's I don't think it ever will happen as an actual choreography from beginning to, to the end, how we in a foreigner's ballet dance world consider it. But the main sections, the main elements, you will be able to choreograph and maybe connecting points you will leave for improvisation or whatever. But you can do basically, you have opportunity at least there in space to do choreography and hope that it will happen like that. Or you so much know the music and you so much know like, okay, in this place I want this kind of accents or this place, I want this section, this song, like you just know the music and you can freely improvise. Even if you don't necessarily know specifically which movement you, you will uh, have, but you know what's coming up so you can be prepared and be spontaneous. And that's what happens. Some of the shows, they were like, and we were talking uh, afterwards, uh, uh, communicating with artists and we, what we saw, like they were choreographed and probably very, very rehearsed. But some shows, like there was uh, one artist uh, that um, performing at different several festivals that we happened, we were attending multiple festivals, and I saw it's the same program, it's the same songs, it's the same costume, but dancing is different. Like, and I remember specific moments that they're like, oh, I remember them in the song. The structure of what was happening in the dance itself, it was different. It was not the same as like three days ago I saw, like, oh, like a week ago I saw at another festival. All the movements, this accent or this, not, I will not remember, you know, like particular accent, but like strong uh, upbeat or accented part, like, oh, it was interpreted dance-wise differently before. So again, it gives you then more range of um, opportunities and this is something that unfortunately I was like how so like I'm learning this dance for so long time and it's not like I didn't know like I knew nothing about this kind of like area relationship between dancer and musicians and dance and drama but to this extent I could not imagine and I wish it was more talking about yeah, especially in the dance circles like for dancers to fully understand and appreciate because that changes your understanding of what you see on stage happening. yeah and uh, just to, uh, another thing that i think this ties also to uh two things about like arabic music in general and i think then it got connected to the idea of arabic dance too uh, that i remember like when i was having a couple classes with the oud which is sort of like the grandfather of the guitar. It's this like bulky instrument that is fretless. And it's very important in Arabic music, although not in Arabic ballet dance music in Egypt for some reason. Actually, there is a specific reason, but uh, not very common. But it's uh, one of the staple instruments of, um, of Arabic music. And I remember the, the teacher in, uh, in Canada, he was talking about, okay, there are the notes, 
and there are the nodes between the nodes. And the idea is what they, the way that they consider, and it's not jazz, because jazz is about improvisation. Jazz would be the closest cousin to this approach, which has improvisational elements to it. But this one is different. It's like the way that they put it is, and I think it will tie to dance too. That is the way that they do it. And it's what I like actually about Arabic music is that every musician we have their own interpretation of a song, but it's not like you're doing a cover of that song. You know, this is my version. And then I always play that way. It's like sometimes every night it will be different or I feel like doing it in a different way. So the structure of the music will still be the same or the notes, the melody, all will be the same. But you'll do your own spin to it, including changing. Okay, I'm not going into this section. I'm going to do this other section that was previously. The chorus goes not twice, but three times this time. This happens. Um, this happens and I think it's awesome that it happens. And it makes music interesting because I was, uh, I think I mentioned this in previous episodes, but like in Western music, usually we want to hear exactly like the, it's in the recording or it's a, say the canonic version of the, of the, of the, of the song. That's what I want to hear to the point that whenever you have a cover band or U2 cover band or Beatles cover band or this, it's how the, the, the merit is in how well can you do exactly like the, the original musicians. And here, technically, if you're thinking, unless it's an original composition, it's basically covers, right? But they're not a cover band from Kothum. They're doing their own interpretation of that. So with that said, there is this, it's like this other element that happens that it goes into, for the dancer, something that Jan was mentioning, that the, the dancer is sort of the conductor. So just to give you one example, Let's say that in the original recording, there is a, a tremolo, right? The tremolo is when you go like on, a, on with the drum, for example, just to give a simple example. What the dancer will do maybe is uh, uh, something that will have this shaking element to it, like a shimmy, right? So the way it works live with Arabic music is the dancer will not wait for the cue of the music to do a certain... Um, uh, a certain kind of movement, she'll initiate that movement and the musician will catch it. And then she says, no, I want this improvisation part to go longer. No, I got, now I want something more upbeat. Now I want this. So she's conducting in that sense. And that's a new art form, in my, my new in the sense that I haven't seen before. It's a very old one, but yeah. it's only particularly, like, I don't know, in other countries of Middle East and Near East, I don't know, but it's a very particular thing here in Cairo. This will not apply even if you're working with Egyptian musicians outside of Cairo. It's not necessarily going to be the case. And it's not necessarily that you will, when you work with any musicians who know how to play Arabic or specifically Egyptian music, that they will know or expect. And for many musicians, it will be even the concept itself. Like, what do you mean I, I follow the dancer? It's it's just a different mindset thinking and it's also the fact that even in Egypt it's a different thing there is a drummer if you're talking specific about drummers there is a drummer who works for dancers who specializes in playing during shows for dancers there are drummers who work with let's say classical uh, music repertoire yeah. and there are drummers who work with singers it's a three different fields in drumming so they all know the beats they all know the same songs but the same song will be played differently depending on the purpose and this kind of like 
niche, let's say. So this is a very, very particular thing that I haven't seen so far anywhere else. Anywhere else, like uh, yeah, even I don't his, know. We'll see. Other musician, but so far, like it's in yeah. Cairo. That's what happened. And also, like the thing that's one of the things that you were talking about. Oh, why can't it be taught? And then it's like, of course, as I mentioned, there was this new song that uh, one of the lead dancers he was going to perform, and he spent he spent a few hours rehearsing that song. Of course, they were learning. It was a difficult one, but. Some of the, let's say, top dancers, the teachers, they will have like rehearsal time. And another thing that I just thought about it too, that which will decrease the level of uncertainty of what's going on, right? But the other thing that happens too is the, let's say, the Western um, way of, not even Western because Chinese, Koreans will think the same way, but this... Non-Egyptian, non like foreigners yeah. for Yeah, for they Egypt. will go, let's say, I made a mistake. You freeze because you're always worried about making a mistake. And the way that I see it is that both the musician and the dancer are using the music as a playing ground. Mm -hmm. They're both using the same source material. It's not the musicians are karaoke that it has to play perfectly for the dancer, nor the dancer has to follow exactly whatever was recorded in this one time. Another thing that is very interesting that I think I haven't talked to you about that is very cool. For me, going to so many rehearsals and so many uh, shows, they learned the originals. They did not learn the version that the dancer thinks is the classical version. So there are some recordings, some arrangements of certain songs, as Jan was saying, there's some certain songs that are 40 minutes long, and then they got compressed to, okay, you sometimes have vocals, sometimes not have vocals. So, uh, they have these versions, which became very popular because they're very dancing and very nice in the West. That's the ones that the belly dancers know. But the way that the musicians here learn, they learn the originals. Yeah. So for them, that's the reference, right? And, um, and then also this thing that, they, that it happens there, that it's not a mistake. It's something that organically happened and you deal with it, both from a music point of view and the dance point of view. Let's say that the 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 he went into a different part, or the dancer wants to go into into a different part. So she will, as we we're mentioning, signal. And to me, it was very cool to see because I've never seen that with those top dancers from uh, from behind the curtain. Let's say so. I, I'm part of the chorus. So let's say I am the dancer. I'm gonna. Move. If you're in the audio, I'm sorry. But uh, let's say the person is looking at the audience. Whenever they turn back to the musicians, they'll give cues, sometimes even spoken cues. You're seeing the back of the dancer, but she's giving a couple cues, like subtle to, or sometimes they will actually be very casual and stop and go towards the, the musician and say, oh, do this now, you know? And, uh, and again, since we're talking about hundreds of songs that they potentially play without rehearsal, uh, I think it's actually a very small version of mistakes. And the other trick too that I noticed is that if you get a more obscure version of, let's say, Uncle Thum song or something that dancers don't usually dance to, they're perfectly done. Because there are not three, four different versions that are, that are famous. There's the one version, the accents will always be on those spots, the, it will finish all this way because they have a specific way that they finish. And it's not like you have four or five different versions of the song. 
like uh, like uh, uh, mm-hmm. Leila or all these other songs. Okay, which version do you want? And then you practice and you choreograph the specific thing and they don't do that. So you're not taking advantage of, but you're not also taught to do yeah, it. Yeah, you, you're not basically, you don't understand what you're doing and what you're supposed to do. And on this note, referring again, if some dancers are watching us and also discover these new things, Please don't misunderstand any of this. It's not like you next time you're gonna go to Egypt and perform this live band, you need to start bossing, bossing them around, around and like no, please don't do that and don't direct that because that would be quite rude. You need also to understand that in this case, most likely, uh you see those musicians first time in your life, they see you first time in their life, they don't know your body language, they don't know your expectations, your level, so, and you have a very limited uh, number of times, so do, and you you probably don't really know how to lead properly, like, and yeah. what you're supposed to do, so don't take it, you know, like, okay, now I'm gonna be in charge and every doom and tyke, I will do something and then I will like, yell and, and uh, or expect them to follow me somehow magically, like, no. It's a first date. Yeah, it's a first date, like, it's basically, you need to develop, you need to know, and every band will have slightly different language vocabulary, let's say, so some things will be common sense, but some will be particular, so Usually the dancers who either work with this band before or had a lot of experience, uh, they will know, like, they will pick up, like, okay, how to communicate and how to do it. But if you're, like, first time, please <laughs> don't, because we, I heard that artist date, Jan and Pat, there was talking, <laughs> I suppose, like, no, don't do that. But also don't be stressed, like, oh, but I don't know how to lead them, so uh, how is it going to be, how they're going to play? They will take over and they basically will start giving you like accents parts uh, and then it goes basically to the typical like you're trying to follow the music but again uh, whenever you didn't catch the doom and talk let's say it's the most uh, uh, worrying part for them so oh, i didn't catch all for the drummer too it's the same yeah so if he sees that you're not giving him any like strong visibly strong or not strong clear accents that he can catch at some point he'll start just playing because he will be bored like the lead drama is not there to play the bass rhythm and the couple of main accents that i embedded in the song and by the way for this accents that i embedded on the song they will play them no matter are you dancing them or not yeah i'm talking about like this little limitations so here i would like to have a couple like accents or hear a little shimmy or tremolo like you know of the original song, let's say. That's where the communication and improvisation happens because it is improvised in the sense you may throw something, the drummer they throws, so it's still two-way direction. But don't get stressed, like the whole purpose of this conversation was just to kind of slightly open the door to show like, oh, there is all this stuff because even us, we haven't figured out everything. We just... You just saw, oh, it exists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now, like, how much more stuff? I understand that we haven't even... Scratched the surface, yeah. Didn't even faced it and, and realized, oh, it exists. I'm yeah. still sure there is way more layers and layers there. And this was just, like, more, like, share our experience of what we discovered. So that yeah. you know, and maybe you will get opportunity afterwards to get curious and discover more from other resources. And now you kind of know in which direction to start asking questions yeah. if you have opportunity. <laughs> yeah, so just to sum up also, like, uh, like from a place, so like if you're not specifically interested, like in, in, uh, in belly dance and Arabic music and all that, like the, 
one of the takeaways, at least for me on this, was this uh, uh, thing of like going to the source of your inspiration to learn from that, whichever it is, sort of like go to first principles, you know, like that was one of those things that uh, sometimes we get, um, as I mentioned, like I, so I learned like Arabic drumming from first from a Lebanese uh, drummer and singer, and then from an Egyptian and then from a, a Palestinian, which is a great musician. And then of course, a bunch of workshops with other people and all that. Um, but I had never been to Egypt. And learn and even watched or learned what they were doing, right? And um, and that was very uh, cool to to see to go to the source because then uh, and I think that applies to everything it applies to painting it applies to 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 any anything. And I'm not saying necessarily even go geographically to the place, but sort of like have this different approach that you go to where the people also the people that live and breathe this. That makes a huge difference. I was looking, I was thinking of like certain dancers here and certain uh, like the, the musicians that that's what they do all day long and every night they perform or most nights they perform. So I would say not and all day uh, long, all night long. All night long, <laughs> yes. And, um, and then you go into that and you have this, uh, let's say, mentality that I'm here to learn. I'm not here to prove myself that I'm one of them or one of you. It's like, I want, uh, you have the opportunity to be with them, whatever they, them is for you. And that was the, the cool experience for, uh, like for me, that um, if you go back to the source of your, of your original inspiration, you know, it will give new layers of understanding. If you can go beyond the trap of uh, the ego of, oh, I've been playing this for so long, how come I did not know this kind of stuff? Then you will not know, ever. Like, yeah. I don't know, I feel so extremely excited about the feeling like I feel like a beginner. <laughs> mm-hmm. In many senses, of course, not a beginner in my industry, but still, like it feels like the very beginning because there's so many more stuff and so many cool stuff. So uh, I really hope like uh, whichever area, whichever industry, whichever specialization you have in your life, whenever that you are aiming to to get to this feeling that, oh, I'm just a beginner because this means there is so much more potential and growth in front of you and it's not like you're shielding yourself out of it, but you're going towards it and that's a beautiful feeling. Although sometimes it gets uncomfortable in terms of like how so, but at the same time it's a beautiful feeling as long as you step into it and trying to continue and discover. Yeah. Yeah, so on that note, I'm Pedro Bonato. This is Jana Komarnitska. This has been Artist Date. If you are on YouTube, please like, share. If you like this show, uh, share with your friends. Uh, we say that every every time too. Like, so that uh, if you got something out of it, just share with other people. We're talking a lot about belly dance in this episode. So uh, if you'd like to learn belly dance with Jana, you can go to Jana Dance club.com it's uh, Yana's platform for uh, belly dance I teach some drumming there too we and actually... uh, we create uh, we create the um, uh, like uh, like visually very stunning very cool uh, there it's like a subscription base it's very affordable and um, you have hundreds of hours of classes with Yana and the invited guests so you can check that out and, and it's in sense of creating we are creating there will be something special we are preparing specifically about 
dance scene in Cairo, uh, dance scene in Cairo and festival scene in Cairo. So here we kind of shared uh, on the free flow our impressions, our thoughts, uh, but there we will be, we are preparing right now and soon we'll be there out more like, you know, in-depth, detailed and structured sort of guide, Cairo dance guide. So for everyone who is uh, into belly dancing and into coming to Cairo, definitely check it out. Depending on when you watch it, maybe already on the website or soon coming to the website. So yanadanceclub.com, links will be in the show notes. And on this note, we wish you growth. We wish you the uh, feeling and sense of being just a beginner and excitement out of this feeling. And on this note, we'll see you next time.